Today we're going to be looking in the Word of God, uh, Romans 5, verse 17. Just going to read the one verse. The title today is The Abundance of Grace. This is an amazing verse out of the book of Romans. And uh, it's really tough to interrupt the Apostle Paul mid-sentence, mid, uh, mid-thought when he's in a, in, a, in, a, in a role there on grace. This is kind of what this is doing. And uh, he says, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Of course, he's talking about Adam, isn't he? He says, much more. Everybody say much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. So God has an abundance of grace and righteousness is not by performance, but it's a gift. Amen. Now, this is where it gets over the top. He says, we'll reign in life. Through the one, Jesus Christ. So we're not under life's circumstances. We're reigning over life's circumstances. Can you say amen? amen. So that's a real, that's, a, that's an over-the-top expression. And so you, we reign in life. That's, that's what we are to do. We are to reign in this life. We're not to have this life reigning over us, ruling over us, dominating us. But we're to reign in life. And Jesus tells us that it comes through him and it comes through him because what his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection accomplished is it supplied an abundance of grace and it gave us the gift of righteousness. And through that gift of righteousness and that abundance of grace, we reign in life. Can somebody say amen? amen. You know, this isn't the only place in the Bible, in the New Testament, that talks about these over-the-top phrases. It also says that we are more than conquerors. I mean, if he just told us we were conquerors, that'd be one thing. But he said, you're, you're more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. He said that he always leads us to triumph. That's an amazing statement. And so that's what we want to look at today. These, this phrase, this over the top, uh, where God, through his grace, is telling us that we can reign in life. And so let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your, your grace that is absolutely abundant. Thank you for the gift of righteousness through Christ Jesus. Thank you that you have told us to reign in this life and not to allow this life to dominate and to reign over us. And we thank you for the victory that's already won in Jesus Christ. We pray and decree and declare in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We, uh, sadly, when you hear a message like this, sometimes people get the wrong idea. They feel like that, you know what? I want to reign in life. I should be reigning in life. I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to be able to really reign in this life. And so what happens is we, we, we hear the message and we want to do better, but so often we don't really see what the scripture says there in this verse. And what we do, we say, well, I want to do it. And this is what I'm going to do. I tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to set my alarm clock for an hour earlier in the morning. You know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read the Word of God like I haven't, you know, read it before. I'm, uh, I'm going to, you know, just, I'm going to do better. I really want to do better. And I see a lot of people do that at the first of a year, like as we just came into January, you know, last uh, month. And, and we said, well, I'm, I'm just going to have a, you know, I've got a brand new year. I'm just going to do better. And I want to reign in life. And what happens is we tend to set up these rules. And we put these little rules and these obligations on ourselves, and we say, you know what? If I reign in life, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to do this, 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 and this, and this. And what we do, we miss the very thing that Jesus just said. We miss what he said. You know, Paul, in the book of Galatians, one of the strongest epistles that he ever wrote to this church at Galatia, 
And what it was, Paul being an apostle, he went and planted a church and actually he, he was preaching in Galatians. So many people began to be born again and converted to the, to the gospel of, of grace that he, he uh, established a church there. And then after Paul left, you know, went on uh, doing his uh, work, they were these, uh, and in fact, most of the church of Galatia was made up primarily of Gentiles, non-Jews. And then after Paul left, then these Jews that were born again, Judaizers they're known as, they came in behind the apostle Paul, and they began to talk to these Gentile Christians. And they said, you know, we're glad that you, you know, have received our Messiah. Uh, we have known Yahweh for centuries, and so we want to help you. We want to help you, you know, and if you really want to be accepted by Yahweh, by God, then this is what you need to do. You need to, to uh, be circumcised. All you men that have not been circumcised, you need to be circumcised. I mean, know that was good news to those Gentile men, like, hallelujah. He said, uh, not only do you need to be circumcised, you need to keep, you know, the feast of the Lord. That's mandated, you know, and you need to do that, and you need to quit eating shrimp cocktail. And no more lobster for you, and no more oysters, and no more of these kind of things because you're going to have to change your diet and start eating like us Jews do with the ceremonial laws and regulations. And, and so they started putting all these, these rules upon these, these Gentiles that had gotten born again. And the Apostle Paul, man, I'm telling you, he come at them so strong. He said, who had bewitched you? He said, who's deceived you? Who's, who's, who's put this, this kind of thought in you that you would begin in the spirit and then you're going to finish, you know, by your own fleshly disciplines? He said, how ridiculous, how foolish you Galatians are. And, uh, you know, we go, yeah, tell them, Paul. But you know what? I found out that we don't, we're not a lot different today. People today, you know, come to church. They hear the good news of the gospel. They hear about the grace of God, they get born again, and depending on what camp, what group, what denomination, what affiliation that they happen to be born again in, then soon after they're born again, somebody says, let me help you. We're glad that you got born again. You got born again, welcome into the family of God. But I want to help you to understand a few things. Now, you must read your Bible every day. Don't miss it, because the Lord will be displeased with you if you miss one day of reading your Bible. And you must have a quiet time every day. And then you got to explain to them what a quiet time is. And then you, you throw all these things upon them. And before long, they go, well, you know, thank you. Thank you for the help. I feel so liberated today after talking with you. Uh, I know when I came into the kingdom of God, I was told, you know, you need to cut your hair. You can't have hair over your ears. You need to, you know, stop wearing this, and that's jewelry. We don't believe in jewelry. You need to do this. You need to do that. And before long, you know, we in the American church, we'll put just as many rules upon them as they did in Galatia. Sure is quiet in our grace house this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. This is what Paul says. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, that's a powerful statement. He's not through yet, but I just wanted to pause and just thought on sin shall not have dominion over you. And then the, the logical thought is why? For you are not under law, but under grace. Now that's the key right there for sin not having dominion over you. So if sin's not having dominion over you, you can't be addicted. You can't be in bondage. You can't be hooked on something. If sin is, the only way you can do that is sin's having dominion over you. Am I right? 
So he said the only way that sin can have dominion over you is that you to place yourself back under the law. But if you're under grace, he said, this is the result of being under the grace of God that sin will not have dominion over you. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean, that statement, you're not under law? Now, I'm not going to do this to you because I don't want to, you know, aggravate you or make you so mad at me you won't listen to the rest of the things that I say. <clears throat> but I've done this before, but I won't do it now, so don't play the game with me. But I'm just saying, let's pretend. If I ask you right here in this congregation this morning, how many of you think that we are not under the law anymore? And what is the law? The Ten Commandments. That's not all the law, but that's where we immediately think about when we think about the law. So I would say, how many of you think that we're not, the Bible says, we're out there, I just read it, we're not under the law. How many of you don't, don't think we're under the law? And you know, you raise your hand. And then I would say, how many of you think that we're still under the law? And that we're to live by the Ten Commandments as our God is our moral discipline, and that's what we're supposed to And then have you to raise your hand. You know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be looking around to see, you know, which ones are going up, and you're going to, well, they raise their hand. I, I think I'll, I'll go up with that crowd. But what does it mean? What's Paul really saying here? There's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ about that. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, you know, and, and we were talking about it at the House of Greats Wednesday night with the men up there, Pastor Keith and them. You know, what I'm not saying is that you know, there's some really good things in the Ten Commandments, like thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, is that to be a blessing to your marriage not to do that? Not to steal. I mean, police won't have maybe reason to lock you up so much if you stop you stealing. So I'd advise to adhere to that. Are you with me? And there's a lot of good things in there. But the Christians, you know, run around and say, well, I, you know, I believe in the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. You don't believe in the Ten Commandments. And you don't keep the Ten Commandments. There's not a Christian in Mount Austin that keeps the Ten Commandments that, that says they believe in the Ten Commandments. Because that, if you believe in the Ten Commandments and at Friday night at sundown, you cease all activity. No texts, no emails, no travel. And, and you keep that Sabbath holy and you don't do any work or labor of any kind. No yard work Saturday. Mm-mm. No picking up pine burrs on Saturday morning in your yard. You don't do anything like that at all. If you do, you just broke the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says if you break one commandment, you're guilty of how many? All of them. So unless you cease work on Friday night at sundown until Friday, Saturday night sundown, you don't believe in the Ten Commandments. You believe in the Nine Commandments. And once you start saying, I don't believe in 10, now I believe in 9, then what's to stop the next guy from believing in 8? What's to stop the next person believing in 6 commandments? And you see how foolish that is. And not only are there 10 commandments, but if you want to be under the law, there's 630 commandments. 630 in total. So no more going to Red Lobster and eating shrimp. No more going to Red Lobster at all, because even walking under the name Lobster would defile you. No lobster, that's just a roach in the ocean, according to ceremonial law. And by the way, for good old South Georgia people, no more fried catfish. Am I preaching yet? He said no more catfish. 
That's like no more baseball and apple pie. Glory to God. Why no more catfish? Because they don't have scales. And according to the law, you can't eat it if it don't have scales. Don't even think about sticking an oyster in your mouth. I heard some say, I don't do it anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm with you. My family, a lot of times, they like them. Well, they'll be eating them raw oysters with the, or they'll put them on the grill. But they put it on the cracker, you know, with the hot sauce and stuff like that. So I'll be standing around. I've tried it a few times. Well, I just can't quite bring myself. So I'll just get a cracker and put the sauce on the cracker like that, and it tastes just as good to me, you know. <laughs> you can eat anything with cocktails and hot sauce on it. I mean, I'm telling you. But see how ridiculous it is when we really get down to talking about it. And, you know, Christians will get mad, man. They'll fight. Even this message, you know, put out on the podcast will get me, you know, people will text in and write, and I delete it, and hallelujah, and we just keep going. But um, Romans chapter 7, look what he says in verse 1. Or do you not know? Or do you not know? Sixteen times the Apostle Paul uses that phrase. Most of it in the book of Romans. Or do you not know? Do you not know this? Is it possible to be a Christian and not know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. It's one of the most neglected subjects in the, in the Word of God. Or do you not know, Christians, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. Now Paul said, I'm talking to people that really know the law really well in the Romans. The Romans. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now he's going to give an analogy or a, an example about how this works. For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Okay? So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man. She will be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, Christians, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who, has, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You're married to another that you would bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, listen, which were aroused by the law. The law actually incites sin. It arouses sinful passions. If you want to make people do sin, preach law to them. I put out a little tweet the other day. I said, if you want to make people mad, preach the law. If you want to make them really, really mad, preach grace. Average Christian. But he says this, the law arouses sin. And he said that was at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered. Remember the term discharged from the law. Having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now Paul said such a mouthful right in those few verses. Now he says, or do you not know? Is it possible to not to know this? Absolutely. That's why he keeps using that phrase. So Paul says, listen, he's explaining to the church, he said, the law is like our husband. Now the law is good because the law is of God. 
in the law, it's like a husband that we're married to, and we already had the wedding, and you say, well, I want to be married to Christ. Too late. You already married this guy, and his name is the law, and he's perfect, by the way. He is perfect. There's nothing wrong with him. He is the law, and he is always right, and he has authority over you as long as you are alive. The only way that that authority could be broken is one of you die, and let me tell you this, you know, good news. The law is never going to die. The Bible is very clear. The law will never die. The law will not go away. So you're married to a husband who is perfect, and he's never going to die, so you'll never get free from him. And he's, and he, and he's always right. And he always has the, the ability to point out your mistakes, your sin, but he's not going to lift one finger to help you to overcome that sin. Isn't that a pitiful kind of state to be in? That is the state of every person until Jesus came. Now, Satan, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of Christians. And what does he use to accuse us with? The law. He says, you broke the law. You did this. You did that. You didn't keep this. You, you broke this. And then if, so if you really go on this really flesh endeavor to try to keep all the rules as best you can, then, you know, he will come to you and say, you know, you, you know, you, you're, you're doing pretty good, huh? Yeah. You, you, you know, you've, you've done this. You've done that. You've done this. Yeah. I bet you're proud of yourself, right? And you go, oh, no, I'm proud of myself. That's a sin in itself. You see how you can't win? See, listen, since the law will never die, then how, how is God going to deliver us from this? He said that since the law can't die, then the wife will have to die. Now let me tell you something that most Christians don't know. Most Christians do not understand, or nor even do they really know, or do you not know, not only did Jesus die for you, but Jesus died as you, you died with Christ. You died with Christ. So when you died with Christ, he just said here that we died to the law. You no longer have a relationship with the law. You did have a relationship with it. But you were yoked to it. You were bound to it. But when Christ was crucified, you were in Christ. You say, well, I don't remember being in Christ. No, you don't. Nor do you remember being in Adam when he sinned. But you were in Adam. And so spiritual geography is very important here because every person on this planet is spiritually somewhere. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. In Adam, all die. In Christ, everybody lives. When you were born again, you were taken out of Adam and you were placed into Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's an absolutely new creation. He's a whole new being that has never existed before. It's not the old you with a paint job. It's not the old you with an overhaul. It's, it's, it's a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so the Bible says in verse 6, look what it says, Romans 7 and 6. It says, but now we have been delivered from the law. Delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. So that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of a letter. So you have been, remember I told you, remember the term discharged. 
In the military, they have this term when you've served your term, and they call it, you, we, we, you, we give you a discharge, and what you want is an honorable discharge. Well, let me tell you something. When you're discharged, up until you're discharged, you belong to the United States government and specifically to whatever service branch of service you're in. So if you're in the Air Force, like Pastor Martin, you belong to the Air Force. They tell you where to live, where you're going to go, what you're going to do, what you're going to wear. And to a lot of degree, depending on where you're located, what you're going to eat. They can say, you're going to wear, you know, camouflage. You go, I don't look good in camo. Too bad. You're going to wear these boots. I don't like them. Too bad. You're going to get up. When I say get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and well, I like to sleep in. Too bad. You belong to the Air Force. And so they say, well, we're going to move you from Valdosta, you know, to Iceland or wherever, Greenland or wherever. It is. We, we, you know, we're, just going to, you, you're going, we're going to put you on a plane next week. Well, I don't want to go. I, too bad. You're bound. But once you're discharged, imagine, you know, uh, the sergeant or some officer, you know, you know and you've been, you've been discharged. And, and you're walking across, you know, uh, you know, exiting out of Moody Field. And he goes, hey, where are you going? Come back here. <laughs> you know, you got your coat slung over your back, you know, and you're in jeans and just a khaki shirt. And you go, you can't tell me what to do. I'm discharged. I've been honorably discharged. Later, Sarge. <laughs> I'm going to eat shrimp cocktail at Red Lobster. Hallelujah. Whatever. Do you understand? You've been, you've been discharged. Do you know as a believer, God honorably discharged you from the bondage of the law. You've been set free from the law. And when the law screams at you and tells you that you're not worthy, when it tells you that you're not righteous, when it tells you that you're not holy, when it tells you that you're not sanctified, when it tells you you're not justified, you just say you are lying. I'm discharged from you. I ain't got to listen to you. I've been set free. Come on, give him praise. I've been set free from that. First Timothy, chapter, uh, First Timothy 1 and 8 says this, but we know that the law is good. Now, people like me that preach grace, they, you know, we get accused of being a grace basher. I mean, I mean, excuse me, a law basher, that we don't believe in the law. Absolutely, we believe in the law. The law is what pointed us to Christ, but we're not bound by the law. Our righteousness and our relationship is not determined by our obedience to the law. It's by his obedience, Jesus. There's only been one person that fully obeyed the law, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to, to ignore the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus kept the law. Jesus had a relationship with the law, and it was spotless. He never violated the law. He fulfilled every bit of the law. And now that we've been placed in the one that had fulfilled the law, we have fulfilled it through Christ. And once it's fulfilled, you can't fill it again. In other words, once you have a glass and you fill it to running over, you can't refill the glass. Jesus fulfilled the law. There's no room to, for you to pour your righteous works in there. You can't add to it, nor can you take from it. He said that we know the law is good. Listen, Paul said, if one uses it lawfully. How does a Christian use the law lawfully? Because it's for the sinners. Verse 9 says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Who is righteous? Every born-again believer has been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
I didn't ask you, do you behave righteous always? I didn't ask you, do you look righteous? Do you act righteous? I didn't ask you, do you feel righteous? You are righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Say, that's what the Bible says. And the sooner you believe that, the better your life will be. Because righteousness, I've read it, is a gift. If it's a gift, you didn't earn it. And if it's a gift, you can't unearn it. Man, I'm preaching good news this morning. And so he, he said that, you, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and for the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners and for the unholy and profane, for murderers, fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers. And it goes on and on and on. I just thought that. I mean, so which one of those are you? Because if you say the law, I live by the law, then you're saying you're, you're one of those. See, the law is not made for the righteous. It's made for the sinner. And so what does the law serve? What purpose does it serve? The law lives on shouting out to sinners God's requirements. The law says that God requires you to be holy. You know, listen, in Jesus' first sermon, you know what he said on that Sermon on the Mount? He told them to be ye perfect. Be ye perfect as my Father is perfect. Be holy, for without holiness no man shall see the Lord. You don't grow in holiness. Is anybody in here dumb enough to think that you're perfect? Come on. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. There's only been one perfect person, and that's Christ. That's why God put you in him. You have been made perfect by a perfect sacrifice. You're not perfectly behaved, but you're perfectly cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The law just shouts out and says, you know what? You need to recognize your need for a Savior. That's what the law's purpose is. He says that you may be married to another, to Christ. And then he said this, that you should bear fruit to God. Let me tell you something about your old husband, the law. He never made you fruitful. He could not make you fruitful. If you can receive it, he was impotent. You never hear anything in the Bible about people in relationship with the law being fruitful in their life. He cannot make you fruitful. It would be like a husband that can't give you seed that would bring forth life, children. Do you see the analogy? And so what he says, that he couldn't make you fruitful. He couldn't give you life. Look in Galatians 3.21 this is what Paul says. He says, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had, look at this, if there had been a law given, which could have given what? Life. Truly, surely, righteousness would have been by that law. God said, if there was any law that I could have gave that would have made you fruitful, that would have gave you life, I would have given you that law, and my son would not have had to come and die on the cross. I would have just gave you that law. Listen, the Ten Commandments cannot give life to anybody. I've said this even before I even understood how much I did believe in grace. Many of you that know me for many years, I've, I've, I was saying 10 and 15 years ago that I'm not going to get behind your, your calls to get the Ten Commandments posted up into the schools. And I said, if you want to post John 3, 16 and 17, don't leave out 17 because it's part of the same sentence. Yeah, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him don't have to perish, 
but have life everlasting. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. The world would be saved. I'll help you put that on the wall of the school and the, and the, and the, and the White House and the outhouse and every other house. But I'm not going to help you stick the Ten Commandments up there with all the thou shalt not and thou shalt this and do that. Because you don't even believe in them anyway. You only believe in nine. Don't shine me down when I'm preaching good. Come on now. If there'd been a law that could make people righteous, he said, I would have gave it. Let me say it like this. If the law, listen, if the law can change people, if the Ten Commandments can change people, then let's go into the schools and let's, let's teach them the Ten Commandments and let's teach them you shall not do this, you shall not do this, you shall not covet, you shall not. Let's teach them that and let's, let's see how fruitful their lives become. It, it doesn't do it. God says here it doesn't do it. It says the law cannot impart life. The law cannot make me righteous. The law cannot make me righteous. If you kept every letter of the law, it can't make you righteous. It's a benign point because there's not a person that can keep the letter of the law. And it says, then, then God says, then how are you going to change people on the inside? You know where real change happens? Not the outside, the inside. So how are you going to change? God said, I, I cannot give you a law that will change you because it doesn't exist. So how are you going to change people? You point them to the only person that can change them, and that's Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, in verse 9, listen to what Paul says here. I'm just going to highlight two things he says. He says that the, the, in verse 7 he says the law is a ministry of death. The law is a ministry of death. How do you know, Brother Dale, he's talking about the Ten Commandments? Because he says it's the only, he says written and engraved on stones. The only commandments ever written and engraved on stones by the finger of God was the Ten Commandments. And Paul says that that God engraved is a ministry that brings death. Verse 9 says, he says it's a ministry of condemnation. It condemns you. It shows you, it's like a mirror. It shows you the spot on your face, the dirt on your face, but it can't save you. Are you with me? Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. To do what? To bring us unto Jesus, to Christ, that we might be what? justified by faith listen to me i've taught you this but i'll say it again anytime in the bible you see the word justified then you can also transplant in that righteous it's it's the same greek word they just translate it differently so to be justified means to be made righteous so anytime you see those two that's what it's saying so he says here that that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to christ that we might be made righteous by what faith and then in verse 25, he says, but after faith has come. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. Faith in his righteousness. Faith in his obedience. After uh, faith has come, listen, we are no longer under a schoolmaster or under a tutor. Let me say it like this. The law is the bus driver. The bus driver is not your teacher. It's not your instructor. The bus driver just drives you to school and opens the door and points to where you're going to go and receive what you need. And once you've been carried to the school, you don't need the bus driver anymore. The bus driver's only job is to drive you to the school and point and say, get out the bus, go up there and learn something. Right? The difference with, with, with this, when, once you've been delivered from that, you don't, you don't get back on it at 3 o'clock. However, 
A lot of Christians get back on it every Sunday morning. The law as a husband cannot make you righteous. It can't make you bear fruit. And so I have now been joined to Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? He said, if you're joined to me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you bear much fruit. That's what he said in John 15 5. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you abide in me, he said, you're going to bear much fruit, not just some fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? He's talking about the fruit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, look at this, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. It's a fruit. You, you, you didn't make it. You didn't make the apple. You didn't create it. God did. It's a gift. Does an apple, I told you, does an apple tree eat its own apples? Does an apple tree bear fruit and go, you know, I mean, the only time an apple tree will fight you over the fruits in the Wizard of Oz. That's the only time I ever seen them try to fight. And then they were so stupid, they started throwing the apples at the people. And they started catching them because they was hungry in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? An apple tree does not eat its own fruit. It's amazing what pops in your head while you're up here. I probably that's not in the notes. Uh, uh, the apple tree bears fruit for you. The apple tree gets what it needs from the roots. Does an, you think an apple tree is standing out there in the, in the soil and going, Apple! Does it birth an apple like that? Does it strain to make an apple? Come on. <laughs> is it hard for the apple tree to produce an apple? Is it hard for a Christian to produce love? Is it hard for a Christian? Because it's not you. All you are is a branch. Where, where does the sustenance come from? The root. The, the trunk of the tree is what Jesus said, I'm the vine. I'm the, I'm the trunk of the tree. I'm the root system here. You're just the branches. Now, when it says, if you abide in me, a lot of Christians read that like, well, I was abiding yesterday, but I'm not abiding today. So I'm having a tough day. I'm not abiding. That's ridiculous. The word abide there, don't think that means, you know, you come and go. This ain't Walmart. Okay, you are in Christ. You have been grafted in. You've been joined. Does a branch abide to the vine? Does a branch abide? Yeah, it does. It's, it's part of that. What, what, which hold, does the branch hold the tree or does the tree hold the branch? Oh, I'm trying to help you today. You're in Christ. God put you in Christ. He grafted you in Christ. So all you got to do is just rest. No strain. And the apples will come. The love will come. The joy will come. It's a gift. Jesus said the peace will come. The peace I give you. Not like the world gives. But the peace I give. Where does peace come from? It's a gift. I give, you need peace? Free gift. Love? I am love. Free gift. Joy? That's your strength. Here you go. Free. I just don't have joy. It's just because you're not... You're not, you're not sticking the pail in and drinking from it because you, you're full of it, of joy. I had to clarify. I better take a drink on that one. Y'all are sharp in here this morning, man. The law cannot make me fruitful. Let's read it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now look at this. I never knew really, to be honest with you, I never knew why. I mean, to me, that little last little sentence never made sense. 
It says, after talking about all this fruit of the Spirit, and it says, against such there is no law. I never knew till I got into grace what that meant. What he's saying so clearly is law don't produce this. Law cannot give you the fruit of the Spirit. There is no law that can produce this right here. This is of the Spirit. This is not of your performance. Man, that won't make you want to bite a chunk out of the chair in front of you. That's so good. If we was in a Pentecostal church, it'd run. For a joy or run out of here for heresy I'm teaching. If you ask some people, you go, man, you know, the Bible says, Romans 5, 17, you're to, you're to reign in life. How's that going for you? You know, last Sunday, pastor preached about reigning in life. How are you doing in that? Maybe somebody this Wednesday night in the community groups, they'll ask them, how are you doing in what was preached Sunday in reigning in life? Do you really consider yourself to be reigning in life or is life reigning on you? Reigning over you? Are you above your circumstances or are you under your circumstances? Sin having dominion in your life? Or do you have dominion over sin because you're under grace? And so if you ask people that and say, well, how are you doing into that? How are you, how are you, how are you getting along with that? They a lot would say probably, I'm a bit up and down. And really what they mean by that is I'm a bit back and forth. I'm back and forth. What do you mean back and forth, Pastor? Well, I go back and forth between my new husband now that I'm married to, which is Christ, and I still go back and visit my old husband. I really think that the best way for me to keep my new husband happy is to maintain a relationship with my old husband. Some of you have been married before, and, you know, I, you think that would bless your relationship with your new husband? Well, I, you know, I know, I realize that I'm, you know, I'm dead, you know, but, you know, but I, I need to visit him. It's called cheating on Jesus. If you were married to a new husband and you keep going back and having maintaining relationship with your old husband, then you're cheating on your new husband. For all you that try to live by your relationship with Christ, and yet you say in the other side of your mouth, I believe and we're, you know, to obey the law and live by the law, then you're cheating on Jesus. It's like telling a new, your new husband, well, to help our relationship, I'm going to try to please this guy a couple of times a week. How's that, Jesus? And Jesus said, me and nothing else. You understand? You have no relationship with that guy anymore. You died to him. You died. You don't have to serve him anymore. No matter how loud he beckons you or calls you. And in fact, it's not him that's doing it. It's Satan using the law to deceive you. Satan uses the law to accuse you. The basis of my relationship is not based on my obedience to that law anymore. So, listen, a lot of times we get bogged down as Christians. And, and, and sometimes we feel that voice of accusation, that voice of condemnation coming against us. And what we do is we think that, you know, how we answer condemnation is through our sanctification. And sanctification is a good word. It just means to be made holy. It means to be set apart for purpose intended. And so I used to think that we grew in holiness. And, you, you, I mean, you never get there. You can't grow in holiness. You can't grow in righteousness. You grow in grace. You grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you, you grow in those things, but you don't grow in righteousness and holiness. It's gifts. You don't grow in purity. It's a gift. Come, come on, y'all. 
And, and so what happens, the, listen, let me say it like this. The only answer for condemnation, because sanctification is kind of like what you do. I was raised up in a, in a, in a, in a church that, uh, system that, that would have testimony night, and just about everybody would learn from another person that did it before them, and they would stand up and say, well, I want you to know, Pastor, I'm just so glad, you know what, I just want you to know I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And in our church, as a young boy, you would come, you know, one night and get saved. It might take you five nights to pray through to salvation. Y'all don't, y'all, if you don't understand, just sleep through this. But you, you get saved because, you, you know, you prayed through and finally got God to say, well, I guess I'll take you. Come on. And then, then you come back, you know, the next night, you know, in revival, and you come up and you say, what you want? I want to be sanctified. And so you pray for sanctification. And really what they're saying is that, you know, and so here they would come with sanctification. Well, here's my cigarettes. I'm going to lay them on the altar. And here's my, 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 my icker and my beer. Oh, here's my porn magazine. I'm going to cover them up. I'm going to lay them on the altar. And they call that being sanctified. And most folks will go back and pick up what they laid down. You know, somebody said, you know, you need to put that flesh on the altar, Brother Dale. He said, well, you know, I, I got my flesh on the altar, but it crawled off every now and then. Your flesh ain't never been on the altar. Your flesh was put on the cross. One time, killed, done away with. Your old man, that, that, that part of you died with Christ. Say, well, you need to just put, your, you know, put yourself back on. You ain't never supposed to be on the altar. You're on the cross. And by the way, you can commit suicide a lot of ways, but not by crucifixion. If you understood that right there, that would be like a sea law moment. That would be like Paul's reflect and meditates what sea law means. Crucifixion requires somebody doing it to you, doing it for you. You might throw a nail in the foot, and you might be bad and throw one in this side, but who you gonna get, how are you going to nail that other then? It ain't going to happen. Crucifixion was accomplished through Christ Jesus. You were in Christ. You were crucified with Christ. So what is the answer for the condemnation, the condemning voices you hear? There's one thing, and that is Righteousness. Righteousness, justification is what answers condemnation. What does justified mean? Made righteous. We, we use this little play on words right here to help you remember it. Just if I'd never sinned. Can you imagine standing before Almighty God and you have never in your entire being, existence, committed one sin? Right, let's imagine that for a moment. Imagine that you could stand before Almighty God and as he gazed upon you, you Never, ever, since the existence of you from your first molecule, your first atom, your first electron and proton that made you up, you have never even had any affiliation or any contact whatsoever, nor have you ever even known anything about sin. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have that kind of purity before God? Well, my friend, that's exactly what you have through Jesus Christ. For him who knew no sin has become sin, that you would become the righteousness. So you got what he had, which was that kind of relationship, and he took what we had, which was a relationship with sin. Man, that, all the hairs on my arms tried to push my coat off my back just when I said that. Manifest presence of God. If you would believe that, you would never come before God's throne as a worm and, oh, God, and waste 30 minutes saying, I'm sorry for this, and I'm sorry for that, and please forgive me, and I'm a bum, and come on, Lord, and try to, all that mess. You would come boldly. You would come boldly into a throne room of grace. 
Because you know you're received not by your performance, but by his. Not by your obedience, but by his. Not because you had a good day, but because he had a good eternity. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. I'm about done. Jesus, you know, I put, uh, Jesus is the way. I just got, I have these thoughts during the week. I tweeted this one too. I said, Jesus is the way. We don't need your religious way to show us the way. Jesus is the way. I don't need you to provide me a way to get to the way. I don't know if you get that. I don't need, there, there's not many trails leading up to the mountaintop. Buddha's not going to get you there. Muhammad's not going to get you there. All these religions are not going to get you there. Even a religion of so-called Christianity with all of its rules will not get you there. You don't have to have stuff and do stuff to get you to the way. Jesus is the way. It's not 12 steps to him. It's one step. Out of darkness, in the light, and you're in the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Come on, somebody. And the Old Testament prepared us for this type of thinking. The Old Testament. How are you talking about? I'm talking about when the man in the Old Covenant would bring a lamb for a sacrifice. The Old Testament portrayed this very imagery, and we don't get it still. And the man, imagine a man that he's coming at the appointed sacrifice to bring his lamb to offer for his sin. And, you know, and his garment is dirty. His robe is dirty and maybe torn and tattered. And maybe he's having these thoughts. I really hope today that the priest doesn't notice how dirty I am. I hope he don't notice these tears in my robe. You don't have to worry about that. Because as he brings the lamb, all eyes are upon the lamb. And he never even looks at the man. And he looks at the lamb, and he does, and I don't have time for that, but seven examinations the priests do to the lamb. They, they make sure that he's without disease and without any crippling effect. And they look in his mouth, and they examine this lamb, and they pull back his wool, and, and they examine him thoroughly seven times. And then the priest will look at the man that brought the lamb, and he will say, I find no fault in this lamb. That's the exact words that Pilate said after he had examined the Lamb of God. And he said, I find no fault at all in this Lamb. He's ready for sacrifice. When that priest would say, I find no fault in him, he would look at that man, and that man would know the procedure, but he would look at that man and nod. And that man, that Jewish man, would lay his hand on the head of the Lamb, thereby signifying that all of his sin for 12 months was going into this innocent animal who had committed no sin, but now was judged by that priest and looked upon by that priest as the rottenest of sinners. And then that, that priest would take that Lamb, and not only was that man's sin going this way, but that Lamb's innocence and that Lamb's and that lamb's righteousness now was coming up his arm and into this man. And that man was putting on his righteousness. And he was putting on that lamb's innocence. And he was putting on that lamb's spotlessness. And that man would turn and he would walk away back to his home justified like he had committed no sin before Almighty God. And that lamb now would be taken by that priest and it would be slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice. And God would, would, would attest to it and say, this man's sins have been covered for one year. We can't even in the modern church get people to know their sins are covered from one Sunday to the next. But all of your sin 
ones you're not even committed yet, have been taken to the cross by Jesus Christ and his blood has washed them all away. Give him praise and glory. He's worthy. He's worthy is the lamb that was slain for us. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb to receive praise, honor, dominion, glory, and power. Worthy is the lamb that was slain for us before the foundations of this world. Worthy, worthy, worthy is that lamb. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet. Remain standing, those that are standing. Oh, my Lord. I'm glad I came back from that marriage conference. Hallelujah. Oh, man. I tell you this. The Bible says these two brothers, it says uh, Esau and Jacob, sons of Isaac. The Bible says as far as Isaac was concerned, Isaac loved Esau. He was a hunter. Remember, he hunted and he was hairy and woolen garments and he was a man of the outdoors and his dad loved him, man. And now Isaac is old. His vision is dim. And his son, Jacob, whose name means deceiver, swindler, wants a blessing. Desperate to be blessed by his father. Desperate to be accepted by his father. So he comes up with a plan. What I will do is I will put on the garments of my brother. I will put on the skins of my brother. I will, I will put myself inside his garments. And I will go before my dad in fear and trembling. And, and I will pray that my dad will think that I am my brother, my elder brother, Esau. And therefore, he will accept me, and therefore, he will release the blessing upon me. It is the beautiful story in imagery. I've heard preachers say, you don't have to dress up to be. You do have to. You have to do what Jacob did. Paul said that the life I live now, my life is hidden with God in Christ. My life. Is hidden with God in Christ. And listen to me. Listen to what he says. I felt like God said this to me one time. Son, I will always accept you for I have eternally accepted you. And this is what he said to me. I will find you hidden in the son that I love. I will always find you hidden in the son that I beloved. I am in the beloved. I am accepted. Because elder brother Jesus, God placed me in him. And I have more than just outward garments. I have his life. I have his righteousness. I have his obedience. And now when I come before the Father, I no longer have to come in fear and trembling, wondering whether he will accept me. For I am accepted into the beloved. That's what Paul said. You are accepted in the beloved. Jesus is the beloved. And if you're in him, you're accepted. He will never reject you. And you know what he's also done? As he accepted you, he released the blessing. He has blessed you in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's given you everything that you'll ever need that pertains to life and godliness. He has cleansed you eternally, perfected you forever, washed you thoroughly, made you a new creation in Christ Jesus, and established you eternally in his presence. 
Someone asked me the other day, they said, Brother Dale, you know, can a Christian lose his salvation? And I said, have you ever seen a butterfly turn back into a caterpillar? I said, if a butterfly can turn back into a caterpillar, then a believer can lose his salvation. But you were once that worm, confound to the earth, groveling and conforming to whatever lie before you. But you was placed in Christ and went through a metamorphosis. And you was transformed by the power of his blood. And you were turned into a new creation. Something that didn't even look remotely like what it did before. And you are new now in Jesus. You no longer are confined to the ground, but you are in heavenly places. You are above it. You reign in this life. Come on. You reign through Christ in this life. You are more than conquerors. You are more than conquerors through Him. My God, I don't know how it can get any better news than what I've preached today. I've had people over and over in these past three to five years, after hearing me preach like this, say, I've been in church, Brother Dale, for 30 years, and I have never one time heard what you preach today. Or do you not know? Or do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know what Jesus accomplished for you? Just step into him. If you're not born again, how could you walk out of here and say, I don't want that, man? Everybody wants that. Everybody wants Jesus. Everybody needs him. There's no hope without him. But there's eternal hope with him. I love him, don't you? Ministry team, come quickly. Man, I don't know, but I feel the Lord so manifesting his presence, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so absolutely thankful for that. And I pray today that you get this in you. If you're not saved, born again, then you receive Jesus today. Whatever you need is all in him. He's the answer for everything. And so, Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for those that listen to this on the podcast. I pray that we see that you've made us through Christ to reign in life through the abundance of your grace and through the gift, free gift, of your righteousness. Thank you that you're the only husband that would help me with my problem. For you would cause me to be fruitful and bear fruit of your spirit. Thank you for changing me from the inside out and for loving me eternally. Thank you, Jesus. If you want prayer today for any reason, please come. Come now. Step out from where you are. Man, we'll pray for you about anything today. Your family, friends, kids. If you want healing in your body, whatever. If you want salvation, please come. Come and receive Christ. Come and just let God bless you and receive the free gift of righteousness that he offers to you today. So many people are struggling with so many things. And even today as I've preached this, I've looked and I've saw so many tears at times coming out of your eyes in these last few moments. That tells me God's reaching deep into your heart to establish this truth in you that will set you and make you free. Amen. If you want prayer for any reason, you come please. And we'll pray with you. It's our honor to, to pray with you. 
Amen. How about that? 11.58. Wow. Miracle. You are dismissed, church.